How many of you remember the day you gave your life to Jesus? When you, you came to Jesus, you experienced new birth. And I remember the day, I remember the time, I remember when it happened, I remember what it felt like when it took place. When Jesus, when I gave him my life and I was born again, I became a new person. I don't know about you, but as a result of becoming a new person, I stopped hanging out with some of the old people that I used to hang out with. I stopped going to the places that I used to go to. My, my vocabulary even changed, the way I talk, because here's why, because I became a new person, a new person on the inside. And I remember the first church I attended was an Assembly of God church. It was there in our hometown. And every Sunday, our pastor would start out his message with this verse. Every message for a year straight, every Sunday, pastor would stand up and repeat Psalms 19:14. Had everyone stand, and he would say, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I didn't know this. There was a reason why he was sharing that every Sunday. Uh, he had a purpose why he shared that with our church every Sunday. He had a reason why he would have them stand up in church, recite that verse together. And here's part of the reason. I'd been saved about a year, and about a year into my salvation, our pastor just kind of abruptly resigned. After he resigned, I remember this, there was a lot of hoopla that was involved. And for me, it was very tough because he had recognized the call of God upon my life, and he started investing in me uh, personally. And so it was kind of difficult when he left. And what took place, again, I'm a young Christian. I thought that everybody who attended our church uh, was like, like me. They had the same experience as I did. They had be, become, come to Christ. They were born again. They were a new person. I thought this, that I was an immature child, and I was simply trying to catch up with the, all the adults. And that was the way I thought, that these people are way further in Jesus than I am. And so I remember this. In the wake of our pastor resigning, I learned this. Not everyone has... A similar experience. And I also learned this, just because you're in church your entire life doesn't make you a mature Christian, and it doesn't even make you a Christian. So in the wake of his resignation, I, just a lot of fallout took place. And I couldn't believe that after this took place, after he resigns, after he leaves, just a lot of talk, a lot of big mouths going, and a lot of chatter. And uh, one half of the church sided with the pastor and his vision. The other side of the church didn't side with him and his vision. They were glad to see him gone. This part of the church was hot that he had left. And there was all this bickering and murmuring that was taking place. And looking back, I was a young Christian, again, not even, probably not even a year into my salvation. And these people have grown up in church, uh, been in church for most of their life. For the most part, it was a, a well-established congregation. Um, it was about five or 600 people. But what happened was they began to take sides and they started to pick on the people in the middle. Happened to be one of those people in the middle. I didn't know anything. I didn't know whose side to be on. I hadn't been saved long enough to figure that out. I hadn't been in church long enough to figure that out. Thank God. You know, thank God. I just stayed in the middle. People would come to me. Hey, you know this happened. You know pastor would say this. You know this deacon would say this. I look back now and this is the verse that comes to mind. Moreover, is the reason for one of these little children who believe in me to fall into sin. It would be better for him to have a large rock put around his neck and to be thrown into the sea. Strong admonition, isn't it? Think about this. As a young Christian, if one of those people had caused me by their words to falter, to become bitter, to leave the church, to fall away, while I ultimately own that responsibility, they will be held accountable for their words. And Jesus makes a very, very strong New Testament admonition. It's 
better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Fast forward a few years later. By this point, I've been saved about three years and I already hired full-time in the ministry at this point. And I was in this church, and we were in a growing church. It was going great. I mean, just, just incredible. I had a lot of fun. What happened was everything's going great till a board member got upset with our pastor. And the reason why he got upset was over something silly, something just silly that got blown out of proportion. And because this man's frustration with our pastor, he started a campaign of murmuring, and he started sowing seeds. And the seeds that we sowing was discord. We didn't know he was doing this. He would go to people privately, would go after church, he would visit them at home, whatever, conversations, but he was sowing seeds of discord. And by the time those seeds became harvest, because those seeds become harvest at some point, those seeds became harvest, and this man resigned, his, him and his family left the church, and with him were about another 30 people. And what did they do? Those 30 people went down the road, the same road that our church was on, went to the first church on the corner, and began to set up shop in there. They were there for about a year. Over a year's time, year, year and a half, they kept inviting people from our church to go invite them to their church that they were now going to continue this campaign of just talking bad about stuff, just nonsense. Not one of them go to church. Not one of them are in church, and what's sad is this, their children aren't in church. All of them, their lives fell apart. And I'm telling you this, you mess with the bride of Christ, you'll reap some things that you will not enjoy. Our words are like seeds planted, and there will be a harvest. That's why we should be considering this, so good seed. I've been a parishioner of one church, served on staff at three, and then I've had the privilege of being pastor at one. So five churches, five different communities, they all share something in common, every one of them. Here's the, what they share in common. People get saved, but for some reason, their mouths don't get saved. Our words tell us something about the condition of our hearts. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from for thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings, out, brings good things out of the good things stored in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For God speaks what, or excuse me, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If a tree is good, it'll bear what? Good fruit. If a person is born again, they will produce good fruit. The good fruit we call spiritual fruit, spiritual growth. It's the life of Jesus. What happens on the inside will manifest in the lives that we live. Our words are one of the most easiest manifestations to indicate what's going on in our hearts. Our mouth speaks what our, mouth, our hearts are full of. So here's the question I'm asking you to consider this morning. What do your words reveal about your heart? What do your words reveal about your heart? Now, if a person has repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus, and experienced new birth, they are a new person. Scripturally speaking, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, has come. 
The old has gone, the new is here. Now, we didn't become a perfect person. The Scriptures does not indicate that we become a perfect person. There are no perfect people, just Jesus. But we did become a new person, a new creation. If your heart has been made with, right with God, then the result should be reflected in the life that you live. One of those ways that we see that is in the words that we use. So when we are experiencing new birth, and we've, we've, we've come in, we've experienced God, and he, the Holy Spirit's come to dwell in us, he then dwells in us to do what? To empower us to live the life of Christ. And again, the output of that is fruit, spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to produce fruit. It's not this, that the Holy Spirit comes in us and makes us produce good fruit. That doesn't happen, by the way. You can't pray character. You cannot pray spiritual fruit into your life. Okay, you can't pray, don't pray for patience. Because again, what does God give you? Every trial, every situation, so that you can develop that fruit, right? So it's developed. The Spirit of God empowers you to grow in Christ, to mature in Christ. So if our words are nasty, harsh, negative, critical, derogatory, filthy, the list goes on and on and on. There are really only two options we can consider. Two options with some variation, but two options. First is this. A tree was made good, but at some point, the tree has become bad. The tree has become unhealthy. Secondly, the tree was never good in the first place. That's it. The tree was good, but it's become unhealthy. Or the tree was never good in the first place. So religion is no substitute for new birth. Religion doesn't make a tree good or new. Religion is just a covering. It's just a, a facade. And if we have a Christian heritage, a religious Christian heritage, we identify with Christ and with new birth, but we have no fruit that reveals Christ, then we have to say, were we ever even saved in the first place? If a person is religious, they may appear to be right on the outside. They may demonstrate, you know, religious people, we can, we can go to church. We know how to lift our hands. We know how to say amen. We know how to give. We know how to do this. We don't go through the motions. But upon close inspection, man, that tree has some fruit on it. But you get close to the tree and the, tr the fruit, man, the fruit is nasty. These are beat up brown bananas. They look good from a distance, but they're all smushy. They're bad. It's bad fruit. You, you unpeel the fruit or you bite into it for the, ow, it's disgusting. It's bad fruit. That's what religion does. There's fruit, all right, but it's not good fruit. Not everyone who identifies as a Christian is a Christian. Our fruit, good or bad, is evidence of the condition of our hearts. So if a tree has been genuinely made good, has experienced new birth, but they aren't producing good fruit, something is wrong with the heart. Something is wrong with the heart. What we try to do is, when we know that our mouths are, are indicating something is wrong with our heart, our first, our first reaction is, is try to stop the words. But it doesn't work that way. You know why? Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You ever, what is it, Mentos and Diet Pepsi? Yeah, good luck, right? Because that's exactly what's taking place. It's going to come out. It's going to come out. Do this. Do me a favor, just for fun. Over the next week, catalog your words. Just catalog your words. Pay attention to them. You don't necessarily have to write them down. Probably after day, I think you probably see a pattern. But let's just for funsy say for a week. Choose your, how you choose your words, what words you say, the tone that you use, how you use them, 
who you speak them to, the motivation behind your words, just pay attention to all that. And by the end of the week, you have a pretty good picture of what your heart is full of. Now, see, some of us don't want to do that because our words are revealing something to us. But I'm telling you this, you better pay attention to what your words are revealing because they're giving you some good indication. The good news is this, there's grace and mercy. There's a way to turn it around. There's a way to become healthy. But continuing down the same path is not a good, and just putting the cover of religion over it will not fix it. So let's say this, we say Jesus is Lord with our mouths, but we speak negatively, harshly, critically, with gossip, or we use inappropriate words, something is wrong with our hearts, church. James chapter 3, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who has been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Look at this, strong words, my brothers and sisters, not the world, my fellow Christians, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a bear, a fig tree bear uh, olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. By the way, if we say curse, it's amazing how when we become Christians, we instantly learn how to skirt around the scriptures. That doesn't apply to me. I don't cuss anybody out. Cursing is not necessarily curse, cussing someone out, by the way. If we gossip about someone, we're cursing them. If we speak negatively about a person or we speak negatively, we're speaking a curse. Okay? So it's amazing how we become Christian we could navigate around and say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to someone else. So cursing in that context is speaking negatively. Again, <coughs> excuse me, an example of gossip. I think sometimes we have this mis, misnomer that gossip is information that's not true. That's not correct. Gossip is information we share about one person to another person without their consent, true or false. It's gossip. It's venom is what it is, pure venom. Because the only reason we do that is to tear another person down. Remember, the words that go out of your mouth are seeds. So how can we as Christians bless God with our mouths and curse people created in his image and likeness and think it's okay? Here's why, because we have a misunderstanding of grace. We think grace is God's consent to act like hell and go to heaven. Don't work that way doesn't work that way. But pastor, you don't know what that person said to me. They had it coming. I mean, they gave me one barrel, I gave them two. Bible says this, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. We've heard this phrase before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. It sounds good, doesn't it? But that was a lie. It's never the truth give you this example. You can, speak, you can speak or you can have spoken to you 10 harsh words. And 10 years later, you can find that person and find out those 10 words are still affecting them to this day. Words do hurt. Here's something I've learned about most people who've been hurt by words. They hurt other people because there's a wound. And the wound is never taken care of properly. A person who has been hurt by words 
often uses their words to hurt other people. So if you've been wounded by words, here's what needs to take place. Your heart has to be healed because that's the source. Your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. If your heart is full of hurt, it's kind of like this. An animal, an animal that is injured, right, is dangerous. An animal that is cornered is dangerous. If you've ever cornered an animal or so, you find out that that animal may not bite you, but when you corner them or they're hurt, they will bite. It's the same way with Christians. We bite. When something is hurt and exposed, we bite. Sometimes the words that wound us cause us to want this, to want justice. We want justice. We want vindication. Please pay very careful attention from this point out. This will really help some of you if you just listen to these words here. See, we want, someone has spoken something to us, they've said something to us, and we want to be vindicated. We want that person held accountable. What you need is healing, not vindication. You need healing, not vindication. Your soul, your flesh may want vindication, but your heart needs healing. Church, remember this. Vengeance does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And if you'll allow yourselves to allow God to take care of things, it'll keep yourselves out of a whole lot of mess, and it'll keep your heart so much healthier. Let's say this, for example. A person, a family member, is murdered by another person. There's a violent crime takes place. A life has been taken. Subsequently, the murderer is arrested. They're tried. They're convicted. They're sentenced. And then, ultimately, they're executed, put to death. The family feels some temporary relief after the murderer is executed. And I use that word temporary for a reason. Here's why. Justice does not heal a heart. It does not. There's nothing you can do to heal that person's heart through the means of justice. I want to stress this. If you've been wounded, healing will involve reconciliation. Say, well, I want healing and I want vindication without reconciliation, and that doesn't work with God. The ultimate goal of healing is reconciliation, not vindication, because God takes care of that at his throne. The ultimate uh, manifestation of healing here on earth is actually two R's, restoration or reconciliation, either one. So when we've been hurt by words, our soul may cry out for justice. Justice is important to God. If you read the Old Testament especially, you'll find justice is near the heart of God. That's why vengeance belongs to God, not man. But God desires healing. He desires justice. He desires reconciliation. He desires restoration. Some of you were told this as a child. You were stupid. You're ugly. You're dumb. You're unwanted. You're useless. The list goes on and on and on. And those words had an impact on you. Maybe as an adult, you hear negative words now, and what you do is like, uh-uh, I'm going to spin that around. You're not going to do that to me. Give me an example. Someone will tell you this. Someone will tell me this. Tell me that I can't do something. Just tell me I can't do something. I will kill myself doing it. You're not going to tell me that I'm not going to do something. Now, that is what you call stupidity. Now, we can look back at that and say, that's admirable. I love it when people you know, are told they can't do something, and they, they do it. They kill themselves to do it. You know what? Often that is, is just a cover for a wound. It's not admirable. It's very unhealthy. See, we can be healed from our wounds, but we can't work our wounds away. 
Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Pastor, that person hurt me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hurt them so bad that they'll never hurt me again. I want to warn you, one day your words will find you. Your words will find you. You can't break the laws of sowing and reaping. A man, a woman will reap what they sow. Your words will come back to you as death, as death. You will reap the words you sow. Words are characterized through Scripture as seed. When our words are released from our mouths or sent via text message or post on social media, those are all seeds, by the way. You've sowed seeds. And as a result, those seeds are going to come back. You're going to have a harvest. And remember this, your harvest, well, we like to talk about harvest with money, don't we? Our harvest is always greater than our seed. So for instance, if I take a seed and I plant it, I don't get a seed back. I don't get an apple back. What do I get? I get a whole stinking tree. Not only that, I get a whole stinking tree that, that, that blooms and blossoms and grows year after year. Someone cut the tree down. Enough is enough. But that is the nature of harvest. If you are consistently negative, please, I'm queuing in on this word consistent for just a second. If you're consistently negative, negative, if you're consistently critical, if you're consistently judgmental, if you're consistently rude, consistently harsh, consistently whatever you want to do, plug into the end of the blank with words, unfortunately you have a harvest that's waiting for you. Most Christians forget these laws of sowing and reaping when they use their words. If we would, we would be a little bit wiser about our words, wouldn't we? Sometimes believers receive a harvest of their words. They forgot they've, they've planted those words a long time ago. I, you know, they spoke all these things, and it, it takes time for seeds to grow, right? And what happens is they get a boatload of harvest, and they're like, why is everybody being a jerk to me? Why is everybody being nasty to me? Everything, I'm, you're reaping your words. You're, you're, you're enjoying your harvest. The reason you enjoy that harvest is so you plant good seeds, amen? It's a reminder. Earlier I said those words, the word consistently for a reason. If we consistently use our words in a negative fashion. Now most of you will think, well, I'm not a negative person because I don't use my words. And you think consistently means constantly. Consistently, okay. If you're negative once a day, you're negative. Now see, some of you are already like, I'm not negative, don't tell me. I'm telling you, you're negative. If you're nasty once a day, I'm not going to say you're nasty, but you're being nasty. If you gossip once a day, you're a gossiper. I mean, if you steal once a day, what are you? I know, oh, well, we're well, a thief then, <laughs> but I'm not a gossiper. I'm not nasty. I'm not critical. I'm not harsh. The words are revealing something about the nature of our hearts. They're telling us a story. We better be paying attention to the fruit. Consistent and the constant are two different things. How do we stop those words from becoming that way? Well, we have to heal the wounded heart. The wounded heart has to be healed. So when we are wounded by the words of another person, the desire for justice is the strongest motivation. Vindication and justice is our strongest fleshly motivation. But it's the wrong motivation. Our motivation as a Christian must be healing rather than vindication. 
While words that cause a wound come from a person's mouth, we can't also forget these spiritual implications. Someone says a word to you, it wounds you, but you remember this, they are not your enemy. They are not your enemy. Satan didn't cause that wound, but he will perpetuate that wound. He will continue to exploit your wound. He will continue to go after that wound. Ephesians 6, 12, for we are, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness, of evil in heavenly places, and that person who hurt, hurt me with their mouth. It's not in there. People are my enemy. No, it's not in there. Your enemy is Satan. We all share a common enemy. And you know, sometimes people who think they're on the right, uh, we think that person is on the right side of the enemy, they're an enemy of Satan as well. I know some people act like hell and they act like the devil, but believe it or not, they're not the enemy. We have an adversary. And our adversary lies, our adversary steals, he'll kill, he'll destroy. And so what happens is when we have a wound, he'll, he'll do this, he'll inflict suffering on that wound, he'll accept, inflict pain, he begins to give influence, and we pay attention to it. And what happens is this, we give him more and more influence because of our vulnerability. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, amen? But Satan is not dead. He's defeated, but he's not dead. He's alive and well. And he doesn't play by any fair rules. He, what he does is he'll find those who are wounded, those who are afflicted, and he'll go after them. So if we aren't wise, if we side with our pain, rather than our healing, we will be deceived and will never heal. Satan exploits our, exploits our wounds with lives in a very, very convincing manner. And that's why we're admonished in Scripture never to allow our enemy to become the other person. Never. Why is that? Because you play right into the devil's hands. You give him more power, more influence than he'll, he ever wanted, and you're like, he's like, I cashed in today. I hit the jackpot. The scratch-off worked. We all have one enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Never forget that. Never. If you've been wounded by words, I have no doubt your wound is being exploited by your adversary. No doubt. So in order to heal a wounded heart, it will take forgiveness. It will not only take forgiveness, it will require, it will require forgiveness. Matthew 16, 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is not spoken to the unbeliever. This is spoken to the believer. So is there any wound worth going to hell for? Is there any wound that you have that is worth going to hell for? Is there any wound that is worth vindication rather than healing, which will end you, lead you to heaven, but if you're just fixated on vindication, is it worth going to hell over? Again, it's terrible. It's a terrible victimization. This person hurt me with their words, but you know what? You can fall right into this trap of unforgiveness and find yourself unsecure before God. It's a terrible thing. You aren't eternally secure with unforgiveness in your heart. I mean, the scriptures are very clear, but if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins, period. Jesus goes on to say this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What, we don't do that in church. This is what we do. We give, give, give. We think we're going to work around this commandment. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to get my finances more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to worship more. And it's all for naught. Why? Because unforgiveness. You can't serve. You can't worship. You can't pray yourself around the spiritual truth. Listen, God is not Monty Hall. We're not playing let's make a deal. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Forgive or we will not experience forgiveness. That's plain and simple. So is there any wound? Is there any pain? Is there any injustice worth forfeiting your salvation? And the answer is no. So in this situation, if it's reconciled, our heart isn't right, our heart will become arrogant, our heart will become prideful, and our heart will become defiant. The more unhealthy our heart becomes, the more resistant we become to God, the more resistant we become to reconciliation, and we will continue to reject the power that God is offering to us to bring healing into our lives. Now, reconciliation, reconciliation doesn't mean this. Because some of you have been hurt by words, and you think reconciliation means this, that we have to become best buddies, and we have to barbecue together every weekend. That's not reconciliation. Here's reconciliation. Do you wanna, this is what reconciliation is in the midst of human relationships. Reconciliation means this, the animosity is gone. See, if you still have the animosity, there's still healing that has to take place. It means this, there's peace. It means this, and I've been down this road myself, so I'm speaking as an expert, by the way. I'm telling you, as someone who's learned the hard way, true forgiveness will give you all the peace that you wanted, that you thought vindication would give you. We think that if we're vindicated, we'll have this peace. But when you offer true forgiveness, you'll have all the peace you ever wanted. You can experience healing, and the person you hurt can then suffer the consequences, which is what you wanted before. And let's just be honest, because you're in church, and he that lieth frieth with a lightning bolt from heaven. My point is this. So when we're hurt, we want to be vindicated. God, get them. Just get them. I hope they reap what they sow. And then what happens is you make reconciliation, and all of a sudden, this can happen. The person that you wanted to have justice is now experiencing justice and you pray for them because you're like, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't, I don't want to see them suffer. And you pray for mercy. <laughs> Healing's taking place. Your heart's being healed. The proof, the evidence is right there for you. See, when you are wounded, you want vindication. When you're healed, you want mercy. You can pray for a person who's wounded you and genuinely want God to protect them. Your heart is healing. Healing a wounded heart will require humility. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's impossible to heal a wound without the, the grace of God. See, grace welcomes the power of God into a situation. Humility welcomes grace into the situation. When, when God has grace, there's grace there. God just manifests. He restores. He heals. He does the impossible. Words that brought death can be overcome with life then. Now, here's the good news about reaping what you sow. While you can, you'll reap what you sow, 
There is a way to minimize your harvest. I'm not going to say that you can erase it out completely. I don't know that I could promise you that from Scripture, but I can promise you this. You will minimize your harvest if you'll handle it correctly. Because otherwise we're saying this, God is not a God of grace and mercy then, right? It's like your children. You know, your children get in trouble, and you are, man, you are mad as fire, and you are going to bring down all holy, you know, what on their rear end. And then they say something soft, and they say something in repentance, and you're like, okay, I'm still going to spank your butt, though. But it's not going to be quite as hard. Ella, you're not going to get the stinger. You're going to get something substandard of the stinger. That's what we used to call it, the stinger. The sting indicated I was doing it properly. The sting also resonated with her brain quickly, quickly. So my point is this. When we have repentance, we're st- we still have to correct. You must, but you're just not quite as harsh. You show mercy. God's the same way. So how do we prevent our hearts from being wounded? Well, we must be diligent about maintaining a close relationship with God. We guard our hearts by the closeness of our relationship to God. The closer we are to guard God, the harder it is for us to be wounded by hurtful words. I mean, the closer you are to God, people will use words, and they'll, they'll just kinda, they, they might hit you, but they don't stick. They don't stick. They just kind of go this way. It's the best, the best defense you have is to get close to God. Stay close to God. When we're weak, when we're tired, we're distant, that's when we're in trouble. And that's when we're vulnerable. That's why your devotion life, your worship life, your prayer life, even coming to church, reading your Bible, study the Bible, practicing, practicing gratitude. This is something that I, I've just recently, I'm more mindful of. When my brain wants to switch to the negative and complain about everything that's wrong, my heart is reminding me of this. The Spirit of God is telling me, be grateful. Verbalize it. Out loud, speak it. But I'm just learning to be grateful for those small things. Grateful for great weather. Grateful for the sun. Grateful, just grateful. Being grateful to God. Practice gratitude. It's amazing how expressing gratitude will shift something in your heart. And it doesn't let it get so negative. So guard your heart. Practice spiritual disciplines such as, as having gratitude. If you are hurt by words, it's, if it's all possible, politely, with grace, with humility, let that person know as soon as possible. Why does the Bible say this? Don't let your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? There's a principle there. As soon as you can, with the right heart. I mean, if you get hurt, you may just instantly need to pray, God, that hurt. I don't know if they meant to hurt me, but that hurt. And you have to pray right then, Lord, help me to say the right thing in the right tone. And you know what? You may have to actually pause and do all that. You may need to excuse yourself, go to the bathroom, and pray that way. Here's what happens. We don't want to do that. We just get lazy. And again, the wound is not going to go away. Because even if it's just a a little stick, you know, it's amazing how you can get stuck by something and it gets infected really quick. Words are the same way. Well, sometimes we don't do that because it didn't work for us in the past. But the reason why it didn't work for us in the past is because we didn't have the right heart. So if you have the right heart, if you have the right mindset, and you approach it the right way, even if it fails, it will not come back on you. God will protect you. I know some situations are difficult to navigate, 
but not impossible. If you are truly humble and look to the Holy Spirit for guidance, he will give you wisdom. He will give you the wisdom how to proceed. If you are wounded by words, don't allow too much time to go by. Again, address the issue as soon as possible. Don't give Satan an inch because you know this. If he takes an inch, it'll be a foot. And if it's a foot, it'll be a yard. And before long, he's got an entire football field. Don't give him an inch. He'll exploit it. By the way, procrastination is not your friend when you're wounded. And human beings are procrastinators. We put it off, right? Satan will lie. Go ahead. You know what? They didn't mean to say that. Just put it off. Put it off. It's okay. Just let it go. You know what he does to you the next day? They hurt you. He's a liar. He's a liar. He plays right into our flesh. It's not a big deal today, but tomorrow, it's the Super Bowl. So church, we must be committed to doing the right thing with the right heart, with the right spirit, with grace, with humility, and don't give the enemy an opportunity to exploit us, and God will bring healing and protection into our lives. Guard your heart with humility. Humble yourself. Practice humility. I think we hear humility, we don't understand how to practice that. Well, I'm going to be humble today. What does that look like? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but look, made himself of no reputation. He could have walked around and said, I'm God in the flesh. Hey, did you know that? I'm not just Jesus. I'm actually God in the flesh. No, I don't think you heard what I said. That is amazing. I mean, he didn't go around tooting his own horn, right? He made himself of no reputation. He took, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men. The creator became the creation. It's amazing. And being found in the appearance of a man, he, as he, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And how, not, not just any death, but the death of a cross, a horrific death. A humiliating death. We can have the same mind of Christ and show the same grace in the same situation if we just choose to get ourselves out of this position and put us down here. When our flesh wants to go like this, you know what I'm saying? Someone says something, does something, you want to go, pull it back in and just, but then you're like this, and this is your flesh, well, speaking, aren't you getting tired of getting run over? Wouldn't you rather be running over people than getting run over by people? Sounds good, doesn't it? And then what happens? Harvest. Plops right in your lap, and now you eat it. We practice, make a choice, practice humility. The Holy Spirit will empower us to walk in humility and develop long-lasting fruit in our lives. One last verse, and it's actually the verses that precede the ones I just read. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Here's what we do. We want to be God too much. We get hurt, and we want to... We want to give vengeance. If we can cut, trust God with our soul, why can't we trust him to take care of the situation? And here's why. Because God doesn't work how we want him to work. God doesn't do it when we want him to do it, and he doesn't do it how we want him to do it. And the fact of the matter is, he's God and you're not. So if you're born again, you're a new person. The Holy Spirit 
who is in you will empower you to live out the truth of these verses, and it will guard your heart from being wounded. If you just, when the urge is to get hurt and to say, to react, just take a step back and pray. When we get tired, worn out, feeble, distant from God, we're, we're the target. We're the target. We can be hurt. We can be offended by others. And when we are hurt and wounded by, our, by words, it will promote sickness rather than death. And church, let's make sure we are a church that's committed to finding healing and experiencing healing. Let's make a commitment to guard our hearts so that we give life rather than death. Let's commit ourselves to grace and humility rather than pride and arrogance.